On Aviation Podcast. Hey, welcome to the On Aviation Podcast. My name is Daniel and I'm your host. And with me is my co-host, Orlando. Orlando, why don't you give us a preamble on what we're going to do today? Yeah, so we're actually getting into, you know, just a little bit of freestyle, more like a fireside chat, you know, just to discuss a couple of things we see out there. We don't have any set topic for you today, you know, but just to get in there and just talk about some of the things that we're seeing in the aviation space, uh, related technology, uh, economics, whatever it may be, and just have a conversation around what we're seeing. Absolutely. Thank you, Orlando. So today... We're going to take a look at a couple of things. Um, there's one thing that I saw interesting this morning that I think um, has caught the attention of many pilots and also just uh, people in aviation, working in aviation generally. We've noticed um, some issues that are ongoing with planes landing within the airport and um, other pl- planes taking off or landing. That is, it sounds like... Um, the AFA is having trouble with um, runway incursions. It's It seems like something that might be controlled by having some sort of set schedules or rules in order for something to work hard properly um, so planes don't, uh, you know, get into a, an accident. Um, I think in 1977, about 500 people were killed in a collision between um, two airlines. I think it was in the island of Tenerife. Um, that's one of the one one of the examples that happened. Um, um, one of the examples of the accidents that happened due to runway incursions. So there's the one thing that um, surprised me is the FAA is investing a hundred million dollars in bid to curb runway incursions, which I feel like. Uh, this is just something that might be controlled with rules, um, but it sounds now like the situation is out of control, and now the FAA is encouraging airports to do this instead. What are your thoughts about this, Orlando? So, runway incursion is a big thing. For example, you know, especially if you're going for like your um, whenever you're doing your pilot's license, once you get up to the commercial level, you start talking a lot about runway incursion. The CFI ticket, you're going for your CFI ticket, you, know, you talk a lot about runway incursion. So an incursion is any deviation from normal operation. So that's one, one thing that people should understand, first and foremost. Any deviation from the normal operation or what you are assigned to do, right? And so you can actually taxi onto a wrong wrong uh, taxiway after you've been cleared for a certain taxiway, and that's considered an incursion. If you uh, taxi off the runway onto a non-movement area, then, you know, or into the grass or wherever, that's an incursion. Uh, so it doesn't necessarily mean that it's an accident per se, but it means that you're deviating. And so I think the whole business of investing more money is i don't know about that i don't think more money is going to solve the problem what should solve the problem is what has been done what is currently being done is not only enable the cfi ticket to be focusing a lot on runway incursion but make runway incursion more a part of all levels of training 
from the private pilot level all the way up to the folks that are in the airlines and the guys over the guys and gals over the go, go over there with the 135 operator private charter and so on everyone right 135 a 121 uh part 91 operators all those folks just make runway incursion a part of making the culture and i don't think that new rules are needed the rules are already there what's needed is the awareness it's a community that needs to come together and talk about runway incursion right i know dan Ryder talk about dan Ryder talks about uh you know with his with his show um a probable cause talks about accidents and he talk about certain main cause of accident loss of control is because he stalled the aircraft right and he talks mm. about a, a, a minimum a designated dmms i think a designated minimum maneuvering speed things like those are what really helps the community not more rules because more rules going to restrict us even more so and mm. i don't think the fa should be getting any more money to do anything right i think the community can fix itself by during training, the rules are already there. The only thing I think the FAA should say, okay, implement this training, emphasize more of this, have a more high emphasis area on runway incursion during training in all aspects of flight training, whether it's all the way from mm -hmm. PPL up to the ATP level, all right? And, and the recurrent training in the airlines. So I think that's what's needed. I don't think there's more money that's needed. It is a problem. And part of that is, could be that the airports are getting busier aircraft remember that also remember that aircraft traffic controllers the faa is having problem with aircraft traffic controllers they're having shortages so some of the delays that you're seeing is because of shortage of aircraft traffic controllers so that could be a problem as well you know people may be a little bit overworked fatigue um you know aircraft traffic controller not paying attention as much as they could pilots themselves are fatigued the pilot shortage people are working a little bit extra working extra hours so all these things we need to come together to ensure that one, they need to fix their shortages. Two, we need to have the training in there a little bit more. Three, we need to have processes in place to make sure that pilots are not operating fatigue, right? So all these safety issues, and I don't think that it requires mandates and rules. It just requires the aviation community to come together and say, okay, this is a problem. We're highlighting it like we're doing now. It is a problem. Here's what we do. If we don't want more restrictive rules on us, if we don't want more costly rules on us, here's what we should do. And that's my thought on it, Danny. As a student pilot, uh, from my understanding, I see there's two different things here, uh, or, or two sides. There's the pilots and then there's the ATC. What side exactly would require more training? Because I feel like pilots do follow instructions from ATC a lot. Um, so in the example, uh, for example, uh, last week, I think it was on Friday, uh, a United Airlines flight uh, was arriving from uh, San Francisco from Dallas. And um, basically, uh, they were given clearance to land on the runway. But minutes later, the ATC was radioed by the flight captain, uh, being told that they would have to go around because there was the Southwest Airlines plane on the runway. Um, so, what do you think? Where do you think the training is going to be most? Is it going to be for pilots or the ATC? Now, the example you give, I'm not sure what's going on there. Is it that, you know, it, it depends on the, the situation. So is it that they got clearance to land and the one plane on the runway just didn't take off? They, the plane got clearance to take off, didn't take off, and then another one got clearance to land. The ATC was hoping that that plane that got take off to, uh, clearance to take off should have taken off, and they did not take off. 
And then because they waited a while on the runway, then the other airplane that given clearance to land can't land because once there's wheels on the runway of another aircraft, then you can't have another aircraft land on the runway. Even if they're all the way down, right. two miles down, if the runway is 12,000 feet and they're two miles down, down the end of the runway, they still can't land. And so it depends on the situation. I'm right. not familiar with that situation. But I think uh, we've got to, you know, I think training on both sides, right? I think training, I think training on, on both sides. Uh, but, but, however, I believe that one of the things that we need to look at is the fact that the pilots themselves are the ones that are going to, uh, should require a little bit more training there. Why? Because we are, as pilots, we are the final say about the safety of the pilot. The pilot in command, right? The pilot in command has the final say on the safety of the flight, right? And so that's that's one thing that I believe that's, uh, you know, uh, 14 CFR Part 91 Decimal 3. And so I think we have the final say on safety to flight. So no matter what ATC says, you know, and that's one of the, a big misnomer. They're called aircraft traffic controllers, but ATC doesn't control aircraft. They don't control aircraft. In fact, <laughs> I put it that mm -hmm. ATC, they're, they're responsible for keeping aircraft safe. And most of what ATC does is yep. this is the rules. This is your helping. They're helping us out with what's going on. They're in charge of keeping safety. And they say, okay, you do this. Uh, you're clear to land there and clear to land there. But the pilot in command has every right to deviate, to, 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 to avert an emergency or a mishap. They have all right, according to the regulations, to deviate from any instruction given uh, to the extent to avoid a mishap or an accident, right? Or an incursion. And so um, I think the training, the, yes, the training should be, ATC may need more training, but probably need more people because a mistake like that could be caused by fatigue. Maybe you give an aircraft <laughs> runway to take off and then you give another aircraft to land, not paying attention to the aircraft on the runway, because right? once the aircraft is on the runway, they actually have to be looking at these aircraft. They're looking at them, say, okay, you're off the runway, you can come. So they're actually looking out these windows that you see, these big windows that you see at the tower. Uh, but I say okay. that the training needs to also be with pilots, because I think a, a lot of pilots, as pilots, sometimes we, there is what we call hazardous attitude. And when it comes to ATC, the hazardous attitude that we that we tend to display is not the one that you would think was anti-authority. It's not that. It's resignation. Whatever ATC say, we just resign to it. Like, oh yeah, that's fine. Whatever ATC says, just do what they say. But again, you have to be. You are the final say on the safety of the aircraft. So, uh, if ATC. So, for example, I'm coming to my local airport, and ATC says, "All right." Um, you know, I come in and say clear to clear touch and go, and we're going to do you a know, pattern to do some touch and goes. Clear touch and go. You have an aircraft. You have aircraft on bay on final, short final, blah blah. I'm looking for that aircraft on short final, and if I don't see that aircraft, I'm going to listen. I don't see that aircraft. I'm clear to land. I don't see that aircraft on short final. When that aircraft touched down, ATC don't normally tell you that aircraft is a full stop or a touch and go, and depends on how far you are from the aircraft to land. You don't know what's going on, so you have to. You're looking, okay? You're sitting there, and you're going, okay. 
this, this aircraft, they're, they're going to taxi out the runway or are they going to throttle up and take off again? Are they touch and go or are they a full stop? ATC don't tell you that. Sometimes ATC don't tell you that, right? And so you're waiting to see. And if you get the short file and this aircraft is still just moseying on the runway, it's time for a go around. ATC may not say go around. They may be looking at something else. They may have pilot run. They may have multiple runway that one person is, is working. So again, in that situation, you can say, oh, ATC did not give clearance and then there was an accident. But at the end of the day, just always remember, the aircraft traffic controller, no matter how you know, angry they get at you sometimes when they make a mistake or whatever, always remember, and it's one of the things I tell folks, and I went, you know, I've said this to in some of my, you know, one of my training mates when I was in, in, in school, and I said, listen, at the end of the day, ATC sitting on a chair that is attached to the ground in air condition. I am either hundreds or thousands of feet above ground, generally with one propeller. Yeah, I, I, multi, I multi, multi-engineer, but generally one propeller, and I'm just here. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, they can get say what they want to say. They can get upset. Sometimes they do get upset. Sometimes they do you know, get perturbed. Like you ask them questions about something. They tell you something. You didn't get it, and you have to ask them again. And sometimes people are intimidated by that. That's why I talk about the resignation um, the resignation hazardous, hazardous, hazardous attitude. Um, so that happens. But at the end of the day, you have to mm-hmm. remember that they're, they're in air condition attached to the ground. They're in a better position than you are. And you have to remember, again, I think it's, you know, part 91, uh, 14 CFR, part 91, decimal three, which you are the final say in the safety mm-hmm. of the flight. All right. So, um, so if, the, if the ATC give an instruction and there's an accident, that that part in command privilege and responsibility is coming is gonna come back and bite the pilot in in the derriere, right? That's what's gonna happen. Because the FAA is gonna go and NTSB and everybody's gonna go and say, okay, you are part in command. You have the right and the privilege and the authority to negate or disregard anything anyone over the radio says to ensure the safety of your flight or the safety of your aircraft operation on the ground. And so that's just pretty much what's going to happen. And so that's what you, you got to look at it that way. So who needs more training then? If who, the person who, the group that needs the most training is the one that has the most to lose in a mishap. And that's a pilot in command. Right? ATC needs training, but you also need to make sure that the pilot themselves are also trained up because they're the one that has a lot of, a lot of the blame. If something goes wrong. Now, at the end of the day, yes, ATC will catch some blame for certain things. For example, this one accident that happened with, I think this lady with, with, with I think she had two passengers or so, or one of the passengers, she was flying a, a Sirius SR-20 or 22, and they have her going through the pattern so much that she got so fatigued after that long flight that she every time she go around, she was retract, retracting the flaps at lower and lower airspeeds, which is very dangerous, which mm-hmm. lead to a stall spin situation because ATC kept her in the pattern so long, and ATC is to be blamed. She came from a flight. She's been in the pattern, go around, change this runway. This aircraft is coming in, switch there, go here. Eventually, all that contributes to the flight. But as pilot in command, she has the authority to say, hey, listen, vector me out clearly, or right now I'm feeling a little bit fatigued. I need to be on the ground. I'm going to declare an emergency. And I said this to people, and I've gotten backlash about this already. If anyhow I feel like I'm unsafe, and it doesn't have no, may not have nothing to do with aircraft. It may have something to do with me. I'm fatigued. I'm overwhelmed. I'm declaring an emergency. You need to give me all of your attention and divergent. Give me your attention because I feel like I'm going to hurt myself. 
So I'm not afraid of using the E word when it's warranted. So just so I, can, I know I went off on a tangent there, but it's important to talk about these things uh, that pilots sometimes overlook, you know? Oh, absolutely. I agree with you. Um, yeah, now I see that uh, the pilot definitely has the final say. Um, and in this case, uh, even though the ATC is giving those directions, the pilot is the one overseeing um, everything from above, and a lot of responsibility is on the pilot. So it does make sense. Um, training is going to go to both, but mostly it's for the pilot to um, gain more experience being, uh, and uh, to help them be more aware of the situation um, rather than just follow instructions. That's that's a good thing to have as a pilot. So I think this thing with the FAA, um, I hope it's going to go towards the training pilots. Um, I, I, I don't know, because right now they're trying to award it to the airports, which I don't think that's going to do any good because um, it's the pilots who need the training. So um, I feel like this is definitely not going to be a good way of handling the situation, but I hope that a solution for this will eventually, a reasonable solution for this will be implemented, which is adequate training. But uh, on to the next story. Um, there is something going on with the economy. And, and Danny, uh, just before you move on there, my friend, just wanted to sure. confirm with our listeners that, yes, mm -hmm. it is uh, uh, 14 CFR uh, Part 91, Decimal 3, Responsibility and Authority of Pilot in Command. Right? The pilot in command of an aircraft is has direct responsibility for and is the final authority as to the operation of that aircraft. That's part A. All right. And the rest of it goes on to talk about how the uh, how pilot can deviate in, in, in the case of an emergency and so on. So that's something that pilots need to always, always remember. It is not ATC that's controlling your aircraft. It is you. All right, just wanted to add that there, Danny. We'll add this. We'll add this regulations uh, in in the show notes as well for you guys. Absolutely, thank you, Orlando. On to the next topic. Um, so there's something quite peculiar that's been going on with the economy. Uh, I think everyone pretty much is aware. We're we're pretty much in a place that's not good economic wise you see there the mortgage rate is about 6.5 percent heading towards seven percent um it's crazy to see the amount uh of um money people have to uh put in to afford homes uh if you bought a home for about three hundred thousand dollars at 2.5 percent and you buy a home right now at six $600,000 at 2.5%. Actually, sorry. If you buy the same home right now at 6.5%, uh, you're going to pretty much pay the pay the same amount because, well, it's not the same amount, actually. You're going to pay um, a higher amount right now because um, of how the um, interest rates are high. And there's something that came up in the morning uh, re regarding... Uh, this company called Jetit, whereby owners can um, own aircraft. Um, it, it gives an option for fractional ownership. So basically, uh, if you want to buy an aircraft, um, you can own a percentage of it, 
throughout the entire plane. And then Jetit offers a range of ownership options with the smallest uh, one being a tenth ownership, which is nice uh, because you get to you have a plane and um, you get to use it uh, whenever you need. But also the expenses are not on you, you know, uh, which is good. It sounds great. And my idea um, of this is that I think I would think that it would do well during this economic time because um, I feel like in some way it's helping uh, people save money. But I, I now see that things are not as I pictured because with the private sector of um, the aviation industry, my picture was um, that even though there's people who are uh, being impacted by the economic crisis right now, there are a bunch of wealthy people who all are also affected, but they might not cut down on all the expenses. They might still um, uh, continue um, running uh, a bunch of things like uh, private jet companies, or if they want to spend money in a certain way, um, they're going to keep on doing that. But I see now it's catching up with the private sector, with the economic crisis that is. And Jedit uh, recently announced that they're furloughing um, a bunch of uh, people from their company. And further than that, the owners, the part owners of the aircraft are being told that they have to look for a new place for their aircraft, which is crazy. Um, and I'm not sure how what what the what is in the agreement, but obviously if they are taking care of the maintenance, flight operations, and everything else, I would expect the company to take care of that. But that's not that that is not what's going on. So, Orlando, I just wanted to uh, get your thoughts on this. What do you think about this situation? Uh, do you think it's going to get even worse for? Uh, companies, aviation companies in the private sector. Absolutely, my friend. It's going to get tough. And, um, you know, fractional reserve, not fractional reserve, we're talking about banks here, pardon me, not fractional, but fractional ownership is nothing new. It's a way for people to get into owning aircraft uh, without having to buy the entire aircraft. So it's nothing new. Me and my pilot buddies, we've thought about fractional ownership. We've thought about, but the problem with fractional ownership, you need to be in the same area with the people. So if we, I have, I have a, a three other friends right now that I think that we could go into fractional ownership. At least four, a bunch of us. We could all go into fractional ownership. The problem is, currently, we all live in separate states. And so, how would that work out? So, that's one thing. Um, NetJet did something where you can actually own into aircraft. Wealthy folks, um, companies can buy into aircraft without buying the actual aircraft. NetJet manage aircraft. So, that's something that works out well uh, for NetJet. But business travel has been going down for a little bit as well uh, because people are working more from, from home and executives are not traveling as much. So we see that with the airline. We see some stuff going on with NetJet, but let's see how that works out there. As you state that the, the, those with wealthy folks who have money uh, put away in inflation or, or you know, recession-proof asset, they should still be able to do their thing. But the challenge with the middle class, the challenge is with the middle class. Now, the the general aviation community is generally um, middle class folk. You do have the wealthy people, uh, but folks who make you know over two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars, 
uh, you probably can call them wealthy if you want, but with today's inflation, I don't think so, right? Because the last thing I heard was the for someone in New York, say someone living in New York, if they're making $220,000, I've heard stories of people living hand to mouth with $220,000. As ridiculous as that may seem to some of our listeners, it is actually fact there. Uh, London, I've heard of London, someone was making like a, a hundred and eighty thousand uh, pounds a year and still pretty much hand to mouth with the rent and all that stuff. So lots of crazy stuff there to think about. But regarding the aviation community, you're going to see these layoffs, right? Because remember, I we talked about this before, the malinvestments that you see in the wider market space, it, the aviation industry is not immune to this, guys. It's going to happen here, too. So a lot of these airlines, these aviation company popping up because capital was cheap. People are flooding money into startups because they're chasing yields. They're chasing a return. And the banks were not giving return. The bonds were not giving return. And people wanted a place where they can put their money today. They put their money in this venture capital firm who can give them, you know, 15, 20, 30, 40 percent per annum on their money in the venture capital firm, even though they lose a lot of money on some of this thing. Right. They, not all of their investment pans out, but because they're very good at, at picking these things and calculating the ones that go big pay for the one that goes bust. And so the investors who push this money into these into these venture capital firms, they do get good returns in the aggregate. And so you see a lot of investment everywhere. Tech, um, you see that in, in aviation as well, especially over the last 10, 15 years. If you start any company and say it's a tech company, even though clearly the thing is not a tech company, can we talk about what is it called? Uh, WeWork. I think it's WeWork where you get the, the, the office space and not to be, I think not to be uh, yep. up, you know, confused with Upwork, but WeWork. Yeah, that thing is is listed as a tech company. Operate like a t they say it's a tech. It's not a tech company. You're a real estate business, right? And so, yeah, um, the thing failed tragically, and so you see that all the time, right? And so the aviation space is not immune to this stuff. You're gonna see this stuff happening all the time. All right. So a lot of companies pop up whether it's whether it's new part 135 operators, you know, folks such as providing uh, flight schools sometimes. Sometimes you see, you know, these fractional reserve, uh, fr I keep saying reserve, uh, fractional ownership uh, aircraft uh, business. This stuff would not happen without easy money. That's a malinvestment. And friends, when the recession comes, which is the corrective phase of the malinvestment, the malinvestment is bad. The recession comes, either it's triggered by the by the Federal Reserve, it's triggered by some collapse in some sector, it's always triggered by something. That comes to fix the problem. So the layoff, the furlough, as hurtful as it is, it's fixing the economy. What tends to happen is that uh, the, the, the leaders don't want it to be fixed, so they put more money in so because they don't want people to lose their jobs. It would only make the problem worse. But back to the point of the aviation space. Yes, you're going to see these things. Yes, you're going to see these companies come up and want to do business. Yes, everyone's going to say, oh, this is great. We can do We got the capital. Yes, you're going to see the over-exuberance in this stuff. By the end of the day, it's mostly mal investment, and it will break apart. It will break down. Okay, you can have mal investment in brand new startups. So mal investment can manifest itself in many ways, but the primary way you see it first is companies who have business going before investing extra capital and extra extra inventory, extra capital, extra business that they wouldn't have done without the 
extra, the, the easier money or the easier capital. The next thing is the startup. We were on a startup craze for the last 15 years. And everybody's all about startup, 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 startup. Everywhere you go, startup, I'm a founder, I'm a founder, I'm a startup. Everyone is a founder. I've been a founder since I was 13 years, when I was like eight years old, right? Doing little things, selling kid toys. Everybody can be a founder. There's nothing miraculous about being, just being a founder. Uh, but everyone yeah. is the founder craze and everyone jump on this wagon and they're getting all this money for ideas that just won't work. I think, Daniel, you and I talk about an idea. We won't go into the detail. We won't even mention the company. But we talk about an idea that you yourself believe that it's a great idea. And I tell you straight up that it's going to fail eventually. It's going to break down because it's the capital that's getting pumped in that's keeping it going. It has to break down right. because the service is not something that's needed. It's only desired because... One, you're enticing the users to take the product because you're incentivizing them to use the product. But once the incentive go away, it won't work. Mm -hmm. Right? That's why I don't believe in the freemium right. model. Because the freemium model, one, lets people think that these things can be free forever. And once you start charging them, they go away. But you're some product you know that people want. They will want. They just don't know they want it yet. So if you offer it for free first, and then they get it, they get hooked on it because they need it. It makes their life better. It makes their business better. Then they stick with it. But for the most part, this thing just don't work. You just keep paying people to use this product. And once the easy money starts flowing, the company just goes down. But you know, at that point, the venture capital is gone to get the return, right? <laughs> so it's a different topic. But to the aviation space, yes, we're going to see this. We're going to see this all over. And that's one of the things I talked about and that we talk about in the podcast and we talk about in our articles. This thing has to come to an end, right? Not that the innovation industry is going to break apart, but the malinvestment that went on in it is going to be flushed out and the real businesses are going to remain. That's just what's going to happen. I know I went off and on a long uh, talk there on that one, but I think it's something important that everyone understand. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, I feel like, uh, um, yeah, there's so much about people owning uh, partial aircraft, but um, one thing that I also wanted to get the idea um, of is people who own aircraft that do rent it out or actually um, have it uh, work for them instead. So instead of uh, just having your aircraft sitting, um, you either rent it out for uh, other um, cargo or just for other people to rent out um, if it's not being used. Do you think this, uh, do you think? Uh, the market for that is going to drop because of the economy the economic situation or is that a, uh, and one thing that i'm actually curious about is this happening because more people don't travel as much as they used to before covid so during covid um during covid a lot of people were flying private so that's one thing it's kind of like uh counterintuitive so during COVID, I expected, we expected that we're going to have less flights in the, in, the, in, the, in the general aviation space because of COVID. But actually, that's not what happened. We had more flights there uh, during COVID. So more and more people were taking, getting into this stuff. But a lot of this is because of the money that was flowing. During COVID and just after, we got a massive amount of injection in the, in the market in terms of, of, of easy money. So that led to that as well. Now, related to your question about whether or not you're going to find that if people can rent back, and they call it a lease back, okay? They buy an aircraft and you lease it back to somebody else to rent it out. It's been something that's been around forever. 
I, I am a part of the one one of the I wouldn't say one of the it is the largest flying club in the country, which makes it the largest flying club in the world because we have the largest general aviation community, and all of the aircraft are are pretty much owner owned aircraft and they lease they they have the aircraft in the flying club. It's almost like a leaseback in a sense, and so that's nothing new. To answer you another because your question was filled with a, with a bunch of different questions itself. So to one. COVID-19 did cause people to fly more in the general aviation space. Easy money caused people to want to buy more aircraft. Then lease back is a thing that's been happening for a while. But the final part of your question, which I think is the meat and potatoes of your question, is whether or not what's happening in the economy will affect that kind of leasing it back to make money on it when you're not making when you're not using the aircraft to make money on the aircraft. Yes, absolutely it will. Because let me tell you right now, flying is a very expensive hobby if you use if you do it as a hobby it is very expensive right it is not cheap right right the hourly rate for a simple cessna 172 range from 150 dollars an hour to 220 dollars 250 dollars an hour depending on how new it is and what equipment what avionics and so on okay and so it's expensive it's not cheap and so people who do that for hobby are doing that from the so-called quote-unquote disposable income and if they're spending their money more on things that they need, such as food, shelter, fuel, energy, all that stuff, daycare, you know, all that other stuff, we're going to find most of this money. So, of course, it's going to go down. In fact, that's going to go down fast because that in itself is discretionary. Now, if someone is doing banner towing and so on, then that's a business. They're towing banner. Yes, you're going to see a downslide in the banner in, in banner towing because businesses are going to the business or they're cutting back on advertising. But some businesses may be increasing advertising because the business is slowing down, so they don't want to get more exposure. So that may be a little bit different. It may slow down a little bit, a little bit different. But the, the 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 whole business of renting it out for you know recreational use or or or, or for hobby or so on that's going to be slow. That's going to be slow. But if the aircraft is say a a, a charter jet and companies are renting the aircraft, you might see it slow down there a little bit, uh, but it's, it's the, the slowing of that maybe a, it, the rate of slow slowing is going to be slower. At least that word slow a lot is going to be less. The rate of slowing is going to be less than in the space where it's just primarily people's flying for hobby. Okay, but it's all going to slow down, right? So in any event, I wouldn't advise anyone to go buy an aircraft and lease it back right now. Um, but if you feel that you have a, a captive market and a clientele that's doing well, yes, for sure. But generally just looking at it as, oh, I'm going to do this without any real plan. I wouldn't recommend that. Gotcha. Thank you, Orlando. That's, uh, that pretty much, um, explains that. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I get the full picture. I get how complicated this could be. Uh, there's two sides to it. Could be an economic factor. And there's also just a situational factor whereby just People are not traveling as much, either because they're working from home or because uh, just flying in general is becoming more expensive. Uh, on to the next thing, supersonic, what should I call hypersonic uh, planes. This is something that has been exciting for me. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see these because this is this is one of the things my parents used to tell me about, but I was not alive or aware. Not sure if in if, if in 1998 they were still flying, but they were not. Uh, they they were not as um much during my day, so I I did not see them. I only saw them during uh uh when, when watching television. Um, I think 
in uh, where, where I'm from, my parents told me that uh, they stopped flying the planes because they were too loud. And my parents would jokingly say that it would cause people to, women to miscarry, which was, it sounds funny, but tragic at the same time. Um, I, just imagining it, it sounds ridiculous. Um, but it seems like uh, Europe is back into um, that space. Well, they're trying to get back into that space. Uh, so basically, there's a new aircraft that's being built that is hydrogen powered that could fly from Frankfurt to Dubai in 90 minutes, which is crazy. It's nice. Um, that's basically five times, I think it's five times faster than usual. Uh, but I, I'm just excited to see aircraft like these. So right now we have EV tolls, which is, which is you know an awesome thing. If EV tolls are you know pretty much compact, I feel like th those are going to be um, more futuristic because uh, hypersonic planes have been there for quite some time. But um, you know they they stopped operating for a while. I'm not sure if in the U.S. or any other country they've been flying because I know there's very fast aircraft or similarly fast but i'm not sure um if they were going at supersonic speeds um but having it powered by hydrogen i feel like it would make it more powerful and also it's sustainable fuel of course um which is good for the environment i think that's a plus for the government or people who care for the environment itself and then it's just going to make traveling a lot faster but I'm not sure if it's going to be more safe. I don't know. There's someone who commented. I, I was on a Reddit just reading through people's comments. And someone said, um, first make planes more secure or uh, safer to fly on instead of uh, developing more planes or going back to um, that, uh, that sector. We must focus on making uh, planes, the current planes we have, more safer. But what are your thoughts on that, Orlando? Well, that's a very important topic, right? So there's a lot of technology out there that's been out there. I think the SR, I think it's SR-22, the Blackbird, right? The bomber. Um, that plane, I think, uh, can get up to uh, Mach, Mach, I think Mach 3, Mach 4, or something like that. And that plane is really fast. Uh, and they use an engine called... There's an engine called a ramjet, and uh, maybe uh, someone in the comments can actually clear up my my, my understanding here. But the ramjet, I think he used he used two. So you have, there's ramjet and there's scramjet, right? So really, what this technology does is that the aircraft starts out with like a like a scramjet, I believe. It starts out as a regular engine, right? And once it get above a certain speed. It turns into a ramjet. Now, what a ramjet is, is that you know how you use the turbines of an engine to 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 the turbines uh, compresses the air, and when it compresses the air, it allows the air to be combust a higher level. So you pretty you provide a jet towards the back, right? You introduce fuel, and in the combustion is 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 really is really powerful. Now. One of, the, one of the thing is that with the ramjet, because the aircraft is moving so fast through the air, it compresses the air itself. And so it doesn't need any moving part. It doesn't need a turbine. 
And so that's how the SR-20 Blackbird, so it has, it's like a scramjet. It, it starts out with a jet engine, and then the jet engine actually shuts off. And because it's going so fast, it, it compresses the air ahead of it inside the combustion chamber and so on. And, and that's what you hear about supersonic missiles. That's what they use. They use, they use ramjets, right? They don't, use, they don't have any moving parts. So they're pretty much they're going so fast through the air that they, the faster they go, the more they can compress the air. And the more they can compress the air, the faster they can go. And so let's just talk a little bit about the technology here. As for the uh, Concords, right? that's what they were. They were built by France, right? I think it was a, between France and and UK. UK was building one too, and I think Russia was working on some stuff too. But I think the France France Concorde, um, yes, they were very loud, right? Because they were not they were not um, what we what we use today, which are really turbofan engines, right? So much of the engine you look at, if you look at a triple seven, you look at the engine, you just see a bunch of blades. The fan, the, the, the engine itself is probably like a third of the size of what you're looking at, or probably like, you know, 40% of what you're looking at. Now, most of it, they call it high bypass engine, where most of the air goes around the engine, right? So, the really what's happening is that you're just driving these blades, these blades to provide thrust. And then the, the engine provides thrust as well. And so, yeah, that's called low, high bypass. If you look at like a 1988 or 1990, um say uh boeing 737 that's a low bypass engine the engines are smaller mm -hmm. and so you'll find that you know they call those low bypass a lot more thrust so for example fighter jets they're operating primarily on jet thrust that's what they're operating on jet thrust they're mm -hmm. not operating on this um turbofan there's they have no they have no any blade that they have in there is for compression, right? It's not to push the aircraft or anything. Uh, I know that they're looking at supersonic aircraft again. The problem why supersonic had to go away, yes, they were extremely loud. They're extremely loud because, one, the engines are huge and they're jet engines. I'm not sure if you've ever been next to uh, an air, uh, a military base when they're taking off one of those fighter jets. It's just super loud because there's no fan. It's just jet oh, thrust. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's really yeah. loud. So you think about that first. That's the first thing, right? I know that they would shatter glass when they fly over the Concorde sometimes. So um, the engine is loud. The next thing is that they, 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 when they break the sound barrier, the so-called sonic boom is extremely loud, right? And so in essence, it's passing through the air and it's constantly um, making a banging sound, especially if it's, it's close to what is called mock tuck, where the pressure of the engine, I don't want to get there, the pressure of the, the, the lift pressure, the, the pressure of the air meets close to where the pressure of lift is. And you know, it can cause your craft to stall, actually. You can, going, you can be going over 1,000 miles an hour and still stall. But anyway, that's a different topic for a different time. Um, they call it the coffin corner. Um, but the engine, the, the aircraft, when it goes to sound, it boom, it's really loud. Uh, so that's another thing. So noise abatement, which is a is a thing in aviation where you have to make sure that you're not too loud, disturbing the peace, disturbing the people. But the real problem with the Concorde is fuel. It was fuel. They burned too much fuel. And I think one of the reasons why they have not come back is not because the technology wasn't there. It's because 
people were comfortable enough with the kind of flight that they were getting. They were getting in good time. The aircraft could carry a lot of people. And it's just it was just OK. Right. Rest assured, okay. to make an aircraft go at those speeds, it has to be sleek. The Concorde was extremely cramped. It can't be wide body. You know, it has to be sleek. So even if they build yeah. those aircraft, you're not going to be carrying 300 people on it. Okay, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be more of a, a specialty item. Will that pan out? Of course it, it would have pan out when the money was easy. Money is cheap. It can pan out because people can invest in this stuff. They can make it go. And the wealthy people can pay. And those who can afford can get on it. That's like with the Concorde. And it will go. But what happens when the money's not when, when the capital is not around to fund that stuff? What will happen? The government's funded. So... Yes, the project is really good. Yes, they're cool. And yes, I think they can do something. But what's the market? They may just go the way of the Concorde, right? And so they may not be loud and boisterous because they, the, the airframes are built beautifully now where they, they actually don't create a lot of booms, right? And the engines are designed so that they don't, they're not so loud. And so a lot of good baffles and all these different things. But it all comes back down to the market. Your technology may be sweet and beautiful and delicious even, but if the market don't want it, the market's not going to absorb it, then it's it's doomed, right? So that's my thought on it. Absolutely agree with that. Um, to be honest, uh, it's, it's, mo- it's mostly about speed, getting to where you need to be uh, real quick. And I feel like over the, couple, over the past few years, we've developed to a point whereby we don't need to get where we need or actually the means of communication has get, has gotten a lot better that flying that urgently is not as important and also people are just okay with as you mentioned they're okay with the aircraft right now and i feel like if supersonic planes were to come back it'd be very expensive uh, I, I heard uh, the tickets long ago were very expensive. Um, so I feel like that would be something that would not have a large market. Probably just people who would be flying on it for fun. Um, I think maybe the types of fuel might have advanced to the point whereby it's not going to be as loud as it was long ago. But I'm just curious to see where... Uh, where, where uh, where this goes um i'm not sure um if there's going to be any development well any any launch soon um for this to be tested out by um by the public but i just want to see if it's going to have a market i doubt it will though but in regards to um today's show i i think we covered uh, quite a lot we um i i think we we got a good perspective of what uh, goes on with the ATC and pilots whenever we, uh, whenever they try to uh, manage airport collisions. We got a better understanding of the economic crisis affecting the uh, private sector uh, and people who are in uh, fractional ownership of aircraft and also people who own aircraft. And uh, we got to take a look at uh, the supersonic aircraft as well. Uh, the most exciting part was on obviously the, the last one because I'm always all about um, new stuff, tech that is, or new developments actually that uh, sound a little bit um, futuristic. Um, so even though it might sound like uh, something that's uh, too far-fetched, I'm, I'm just excited to see what it, what it looks like. 
um, Orlando, do you have any final thoughts before we close the show? Absolutely. I think this, uh, we decided to do this approach this week just to have a quick chat. We call it the fireside chat, just to talk a little bit about uh, some topics that we're seeing out there. Nothing scripted in terms of what, uh, generally just what we talk about, just to get some ideas. And I really, really like the topic, especially the one for me, the, my favorite one. I know you love tech, you're a tech guy. Um, I do like yeah. the tech, I like the speed, I like that stuff. But this runway incursion stuff really hit home for me because that's stuff that we talk mm -hmm. about all the time as I work on my CFI ticket. And that's stuff that we see out there as pilots. Uh, I'm telling you, it did safety stuff. So I think that was my favorite topic overall. Uh, we will put in the show notes um, the the uh, the section, uh, you know, 14 CFR Part 91 Decimal 3 for the patent command uh, responsibility authority. There will also probably put some show notes on some of the stuff we discussed in terms of the mishap with ATC, uh, trying to land an aircraft, another aircraft was on the runway. We might put an article there as well about Tenerife uh, as well. So we'll put some stuff in there, but Danny, I really, really appreciate this. And it's probably something about this supersonic stuff as well. So, but I really appreciate this, this, this approach. Thank you. All right, thanks Orlando. This was definitely an exciting show. Um, I hope uh, to see more stuff. Uh, I hope the audience actually gets to see more of this. Um, let us know your thoughts. Uh, leave comments on wherever you get this uh, podcast. It's going to be available on multiple platforms. So yeah, stay tuned for the next episode. And thanks for being a part of us. Have a great rest of your week or weekend or uh, for each of the time period you're going to be listening to this. All right, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.